Well, good morning. Good morning. So good to see you today. Welcome to everyone in the auditorium and everyone in the venue and those watching online at carneyefree.com. My name is Adrian, and on stage with me right now are Dwayne and Gwen Couts. And Dwayne and Gwen, I've uh, been part of this church for a number of years and uh, help lead in an area of ministry here. And they came to me um, uh, several years ago now, four or five years ago, and they were generous enough, courageous enough to share a bit of their marriage story with me. And their marriage story has some pain and that has some beauty. And uh, today and next Sunday, we're in 1 Corinthians 7, in which the Apostle Paul talks to us about marriage and about building trust and about when trust is broken. And I just thought that this would be a wonderful opportunity for you to hear from, from Dwayne and Gwen, a little bit of their story. And then next Sunday, well, we'll hear from another couple as well in our church who likewise have been through heartache and, and pain and beauty in their marriage. And, and hopefully by listening to a couple other stories, well, we can be inspired as we endeavor upon though, this beautiful and painful thing called marriage. If anyone's married, say amen to what I just said. <laughs> it's very beautiful, and at times it's very painful. Come on, come on. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, thank you so much for your willingness to come share a little bit of your story today. I'll hand this to you first, uh, Gwen or Dwayne, whoever would like to answer this first one. Um, <laughs> so uh, t- tell us just a little bit about yourselves. Uh, how you, how, it, that's on. We're good. Um, how long you been married? And uh, tell us about your kids and your vocations. We have four daughters between us uh, <laughs> from 46 to 29 um, we both have professional careers, and I guess we've just been through some stuff, but we're here today, and it's because of God's grace. Yeah, amen. Um, I would say we've been married 29 years uh, come July, so uh, we've been through a lot, but we believe that in obedience to God, there is hope in all marriages, even when you're struggling. So uh, my vocation, I am the uh, CEO for Dawson Public Power District. And I have, I'm in the transportation industry and have been for 30-something years. Yeah, great. And you have four kids together, is that right? We do. Three, well, four daughters. Okay, wonderful. And nine grandchildren. All right, all right, wonderful. Uh, you were vulnerable with me years ago in, in kind of sharing some of your story and some of the rough patches that you went through. And um, would you mind sharing just a little bit about what you went through in those early years of your marriage and uh, kind of setting the stage for, for, for your story? Probably two of the most difficult things that we went through is, I know it's hard to tell, but there's a large age difference between the two of us. And we had infidelity. You're much the, older. I guess. <laughs> And we had infidelity at the beginning of our relationship, and it, it caused a lot of problems throughout. Um, but through the grace of God, we've overcome. Um, I would also say that um, during those marriage problems, you'll notice that each partner, their heart starts to harden and get colder and colder. And one of the things that we both ended up discovering was that the only person that can soften your heart is God, period. So like, what did you do when your marriage began to crack? You went through the pain of infidelity. You um, feel like trust has been broken. 
What do you do at that point? Well, when it feels like things have begun to crack. There's only one thing to do, and that's turn to the Lord. And that's what we did. Um, sorry, this is a little bit emotional to talk about still, but um, we turned to the Lord and got that relationship right first. And then you can start working on yourself to, uh, to, to mend the, the hurt that you've caused or the hurt that's been in place there. Um, but really transparency. You have to be super transparent if something goes sideways. To build trust and keep trust, is, that's one of the keys to, to uh, getting your... You've got to be honest with God. You've got to be honest with yourself. And that's where it all starts. So for you, Dwayne, like turning to the Lord, does that mean... Like now is the time that I'm starting to be honest with God for the first time, or? I would say not for the first time, but it's, it was time for me to, to get right. I mean, to, I was a cause of a lot of the problems because of my selfishness. Uh-huh. And it was time for me to get unselfish, to go to God and ask for forgiveness and to, to get that relationship right. And then it was into counseling and figure out how to fix you know, how to build from that point forward. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And you have to understand, I wanted counseling sooner than he did, and he never told me he was going to counseling. Um, One of the other things that became probably more so apparent even to me was when you get up in the morning, you have to choose to be married that day. Hmm. You You have to choose the fact that you said, I do, 29 years ago, and every morning it's, I do again. And I think that's really important. And the other thing is, is, and we do marriage mentoring in the church, and we have to tell couples who are not willing to work on it together that if you're not going to um, decide you're going to be married every day and that you both want it to work, it's going to be a longer road for you. I think we've touched on this a little bit, but self-centeredness was, was my key to my downfall because mm-hmm. life was about me. It wasn't about God. And I did everything I could to screw up my relationship with God, with my wife, with my family. Um, I've, I've done about everything wrong that you can do wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, not just, it's not, not just, what's that? I did the same things wrong. Okay. Payback. Payback. Is, so. is, is that where you went, Gwen? That when, when uh, Dwayne hurt you, you, you sought to pay back? I think that's human nature for a lot of people. So yes, that's exactly what I did. Yeah, yeah. So like, how did you interrupt this? You, you're in this horrible um, cycle. You've started to speak to it a little bit. You pursued counseling. Um, you, you seek to get right with God. But like, what was it for you, Gwen, having been wronged in terms of infidelity, it's a huge broken trust. How at that point, as you're processing through that, do you pursue reconciliation well with your husband? Were there, were there key verses? Were there key, key spiritual practices that you did that helped you say, I'm gonna fight for this as difficult as it is? Well, I would say that one of the biggest things that happened and it would happen for most people because they're human is I left. I mean I ran away um, because the pain was just too much and I kept thinking that it was my fault. Mm. But um, I remember 
opening the Bible and, and, and then literally asking God, you know, if you're still with me, show me something. And one of the very first scriptures that popped out was First Peter uh, 1, 6, and 7, where it talks to you about you have to go through these trials. You have to hurt a little in order to learn a little. And then even bigger than that is when you reconcile, you have to be, uh, it's all glory to God. And I will tell everybody out here that you want to build a relationship between you and your spouse is one thing, but you build a relationship with God first. Mm. It won't go anywhere without that. Mm. So mm. I would say that was primary. The other thing that happened was um, there's another scripture, and I think they'll put it up here, First uh, Peter 3, 1 and 2. And this is my role. And one of the things that I was doing wrongly was every time we would talk to each other, I would bring up what he had done or anything that I could to stab him. And then this verse showed up in my Bible one day where it talks to me about you need to take care of you and you need to act like a godly wife and you need not to be bringing these things up to him again. Hmm. And I'm thinking, that ain't going to happen. Hmm. The more I prayed, the better it got. Wow. So hmm. You committed not to bringing it back up again and again. Wow, that's so good. And, and he was starting to make small changes. Mm -hmm. And I jokingly tell everybody that he did Fireproof before it was even a movie. Huh. I mean, he really did. And I, I mean, I didn't know what he was doing, but every day he built on something else in our marriage. And, and that was a huge thing for me. Well, for those who don't know, what does that mean? He did Fireproof before it was even a thing. What, what does that look like, Dwayne? What it meant for me was to serve my wife, huh. to do things out of the ordinary, to go out of the way, to do extra things. Cooking. Just, Cooking was a big thing. <laughs> just to show her that I loved her and I appreciated her. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Huh. Wonderful. Thank you for that example. Do you have any advice for, you know, maybe there's a couple in this room here today. Maybe there's someone in the venue or someone watching online here today that says things are super rocky in our marriage and we're thinking about giving up. What would you say? What advice would you have? First thing I would tell you is when you get ready to fight, don't do it in the heat of the moment. Hmm. Go your separate ways, cool off, think about it, read your Bible, and then come back and discuss it. Don't fight about it. Okay. Thank um, you. God will, God will give you guidance if you ask for it. Hmm. So it doesn't work to yell over each other? Is that what you're saying? It does not. <laughs> We've tried it, and it didn't work very well for us. Here, here. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say that one of the things that I found out later on when we were starting to patch things up was when I stopped throwing things back in his face, it got infinitely better for, all, for both of us and our families. But when you think about it, when, when Jesus says he forgives you your sins, it's as far as the east is from the west, and he doesn't throw them back at you. And we are called to do the same thing, to behave like Jesus. So mm. that was part of it, too. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. To close this up a little bit, there's three things that, that saved us. Uh -huh. And it was the hope in Christ. There's always hope in Christ if you want to look for it. The grace that God showed us, he forgave us. We can forgive one another in service. We decided to serve one another, but also we decided to serve in our church together as a couple. Huh. And on the front end, that don't look very good. On the back end, there's a lot of reward. Huh. Wow, that's good stuff. And I'll, 
So every other Sunday, every third Sunday, you'll find us behind the cameras, which is much more comfortable, by the way. Absolutely. And, and that way we are serving together, and it really does. It's very rewarding. Mm. I get to serve on the creative team, and I have to tell you, the production team as a whole is really a lot of blessing overall. It's a fun team. They are. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your stories. Hey, can we give a round of applause to Dwayne and Gwen? Yeah. Um, Dwayne and Gwen have offered to be available after service, so they'll be uh, up here to, to the side of the stage after service if you want to visit with them, or maybe there's a, a future Sunday. You just want to thank them for, for sharing their story. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to stand up on stage in front of these small number of friends and share that kind of stuff. So thank you for your courage. And um, what, a, what a trophy of God's grace you are. We, we rejoice that he has led you to forgiveness and a fresh start and a beautiful marriage today. Yeah. Dwayne, would you mind praying for us this morning? Absolutely. Thanks. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today and thanks for your grace and your forgiveness. Dear Lord, if there's a couple out there that are thinking about giving up today, we ask that you just... Give them hope. Yeah. Give them hope in you, Lord. We just want to thank you for a pastor that's willing to forge into these tough subjects through the word of God, not through personal wisdom or human wisdom, but through your word, dear Lord. We thank you for that, and we thank you for the people that we can talk to and, and help if it's possible. And we just look forward to the message that Adrian brings us today. In your precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we got some rain outside. Somebody give a hand clap to God. <laughs> well, that's powerful to hear that story, isn't it? It's really, really good stuff. Again, we'll have another one next week from another couple in our church who's voyaged through tough times and has chosen to keep fighting and has rebuilt trust in the process. My dear wife Susie was, uh, was getting a little bit long in the tooth. I can say that because she's not here right now. <laughs> she was 25 years old. And she had no marriage prospects, she wasn't dating, and uh, she wasn't going to settle. And uh, her Indian father started getting kind of concerned about it. You see, in much of India, the practice even to this day, not all of India, but much of India, the practice even to, to this day is an arranged marriage. Okay, mom and dad get together with another mom and dad, and they match up their son and their daughter and they think that these two will work well for propagating a family because the goal is the propagation of the family through your son or daughter. This was true for Susie's parents. They had an arranged marriage and they had 50 years of great marriage. Different ways of doing it, different cultures, and, and we probably shouldn't roll our eyes at that because we don't have the greatest record here. Typically, the woman is married off by age 20, maybe age 21. So at age 25, Susie's dad confronted her, and he said, sweetie, like, 
here's the deal, you either can get married the American way and fall in love first, or you can get married the Indian way and you'll fall in love later. Either way is just fine, but we really want you to get married. You see, she, she had this uh, little pressure, kind of. It was so important to her mom and dad, though, that she would get married because in India, the goal of marriage is the continuation of the family through children. And so parents are highly involved in it. Interestingly, interestingly, the Greco-Roman world that the Apostle Paul is writing to had some similarities there. Parents were involved in arranging marriage for sons and daughters. It wasn't so much for the propagation of the family, but it was for the man's social advancement. So parents would be involved in bringing these young people together so that the man would advance financially, socially, now, those aren't the reasons, though, that we get married today. Well, what's the goal of American marriages? Somebody help me out. I heard someone yell really loud, happiness. Personal fulfillment, right? The goal of American marriages, almost from first to last in our culture today, is personal fulfillment. I'm going into this because I believe that you will more satisfy my life. You'll bring more satisfaction to, to my life, and so I consider you to perhaps be a suitable partner toward the end of my happiness, much like most things in America, it's about my happiness. Now, I share those three different models simply by way of contrast to what the Apostle Paul and what Jesus sets up related to the purpose of marriage in the New Testament, Christian marriage in the New Testament is not so much about the propagation of family or about self-fulfillment or even about my own personal fulfillment, my own personal happiness. Christian marriage, if you're following along in your notes here though this morning, Christian marriage is the promise, I give myself to you and you give yourself to me and together we give ourselves to God for life. That's really what it is. It's a promise that I give myself completely to you we can leave that up on the screen for a few more moments. I give that myself completely to you and you give yourself completely to me and together we give ourselves completely to God for life. It's not so much about my own personal fulfillment or even about the advancement of my family or about having children, as important as all those things are. Philippians chapter two puts it well. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Wow, apply this to marriage. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, think of others above yourselves. Value others above yourselves. Not looking out for your own interests, but also looking out for the interests of others. Didn't you love the way Gwen just put that every single day you have to decide to be married to this person. Every day I have to choose to be married to Susie. She has to choose to be married to me in such a way that she says, I'm gonna look out for his interests, to love him according to his unique design, and I need to say, how can I look out for her interests and love her according to her unique design? And hopefully, if we both do that over time, this beautiful cycle of trust and love 
develops and flourishes for both of us. This morning I ask you to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 7 today and next week. Today the title of the message is Building Trust. Building Trust in Our Marriage. Next Sunday I hope you come back and the title of the message is When Trust is Broken. What do we do well, when it's been broken and how do we rebuild much as we heard from Gwen and Dwayne here though this morning. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 5. Now for the matters you wrote me about, quote, unquote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Okay, that's not Paul's quote. He's quoting a letter that they wrote him. Okay, this is what Corinthians is. It's a back and forth letter between the church in Corinth and the Apostle Paul who started the church in Corinth. And so he quotes something that they wrote in their previous letter to him. And they're asking him, in quotes, is it good for a man not to have sexual relations well with a woman, even his wife? That's what they're asking. And the Apostle Paul says, okay, here's your, here's your answer. Maybe you're gonna wish after I give you this answer you didn't ask. Okay, this is, this is Paul's answer. Verse two. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. So should there be none? No, he's saying in the context of marriage, though this is God's gift to you, to a wife and to a husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but he yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control." Now, we can just admit on the front end here that we don't really talk that way in the Midwest, do we? That sounds kind of raw, the way the Apostle Paul speaks to this issue and this question, should a man have sexual relations with his wife? But I would ask you right now, please do your best not to turn the channel in your brain, okay? Please do your best just to stick with me for, for this message as it's significant, it won't be just related to the sexual realm. What we're gonna talk about here is building trust in marriage in general. Paul is pleading, in essence, this view of marriage that I just articulated that says, I am yours, and you are mine. And yes, we still exist, we're still our own people, but we give ourselves to each other and together we give ourselves to God and we're asking for more of God's will to be done in our lives, in us and through us and we live for God's glory and for the advancement of his kingdom and we come together on our wedding day and we make all these glorious commitments to each other, right? I mean, think about the gravity, the commitments that we make on our wedding day. We say, I'm leaving all others, I'm leaving my parents and I'm cleaving to you and I'm coming under this one roof with you, and I'm learning how to share a bathroom with you. 
And we come together financially and emotionally and spiritually, and we commit to doing this in sickness and health. Through poverty or riches, till death do us part. And God says in response, if you're going to make that kind of commitment to each other, I'm gonna give you this incredible gift called a sexual union for the purpose of intimately uniting you together for life. Now I've talked to ladies who don't really like this passage though that I just read, but please notice in this passage that very few cultures the world over have ever conceived of a husband's body belonging to his wife. Wow. But that's exactly the way the Apostle Paul puts it, isn't it? That a wife belongs to her husband, but also a husband's body belongs to his wife. You see, in the Roman world, marriage was asymmetrical. The husband was up here and the wife was down here. It was kind of like a parent-child relationship. That's the way it was in the Roman world. But what Paul is saying, no, a Christian marriage is, marriage is symmetrical. A husband is, wife, is right here and a wife is right here. And this very forward way of thinking that Paul has that says, oh, I give you both this gift for life. And God so elevates marriage for him and also elevates marriage for her such that he gives this sacred gift of sex that brings a celebration of the union that they've made with one another on their wedding day. Now sometimes, sadly, the church talks about sex like it's so filthy that it's only to be reserved for the one that you love the most. That's not how the Bible talks about sex at all. Okay, that's the way the church sometimes talks about it. Like, it's so filthy. But that is not how the Bible talks about it. Now, Paul here, he doesn't focus on sex because it's the most important thing to a marriage. It is important to a marriage. But again, he's answering this email that they sent to him. And uh, the reason he has to answer this email, the reason they have to ask is because there were these two different kinds of philosophers in the Greek uh, community. In Corinth, there would have been one group of Greek philosophers that were called ascetics. And ascetics believed in abstaining. They would have been the ones that said, even within marriage, should we abstain from sex? Okay, they actually believed that. Ascetics believed in abstaining because the body was considered evil. They saw the body as bad, and so you abstain from fine foods or fine drinks or even sex in the context of marriage. Their idea was fasting from all that might be enjoyable in the body. There was another group of philosophers who hold more sway in the Corinthian church, more sway in the city of Corinth, and they're called Epicureans. Have you heard of them? Raise your hand if you heard the word Epicurean before. Okay, so Epicureans believe saw something different. It wasn't fasting, for them it was feasting. Okay, it was eat, drink, and be merry, because then you die. For them it was feast with whomever wherever, whoever, okay? That, that, that was their idea. And sadly, what was happening was the culture related to sexuality was bleeding into the church and affecting the people in the church in Corinth. Now, fortunately, that doesn't happen anymore, does it? If I had the opportunity, if I was given a microphone... Take your time. 
If I was given the opportunity to give couples three different ways to build trust in marriage, I would start with this one. You build trust in marriage through sexual faithfulness. I'm going to give you three ways, but though this is the first, build trust through sexual faithfulness. Lord knows there are dozens and dozens of ways to erode trust in marriage. But the fastest and most devastating is sexual trespass. The fastest and most devastating is sexual trespass. Whether it be pornography or infidelity or just terrible boundaries with people of the opposite sex, sexual trespass is the fastest way to break trust in marriage. Now Paul is saying here, God designed sex actually to increase trust between husband and wife. It's designed to build emotional and physical closeness in the context of marriage. It's to be received as a gift, to be learned, to enjoyed by both. And abstinence, he says, for short periods of time, not because sex is bad as the ascetics well were teaching, but abstinence for a short period of time for the purpose of going deeper spiritually with each other can likewise be used as an instrument for building intimacy and spiritual focus for husband and wife. But he says that would be for a short period of time, again for the purpose of building trust, and then so also this gift of intimacy for building trust. But friends, we can actively build trust in our marriage by reinforcing our commitments to one another in this realm, even as we age. Like whatever age you are today, maybe you're just married or maybe you've been married 40, 50 years, whatever age you are, you can reinforce trust in this area. I'm so grateful that my wife will occasionally say things to me like, you know, some extra gray hair over here, and a couple extra wrinkles up here. They look kind of good on you, Adrian. Another year doesn't look too bad on you, Adrian. And I think she appreciates when I say the same thing to her. And I remind her, Susie, you are a beautiful woman on the outside, but she is far more beautiful on the inside. And that's what she wants. She wants to be a beautiful woman on the inside. And I reinforce both for her. And as we do so, it brings us closer together. And it helps us to appreciate one another, wrinkles and all. And it counteracts our cultural idolatry of sex and youthfulness. We have a culture-wide idolatry of youthfulness. And it's so damaging to marriage. Friends, I've just found this correlation across my ministry that when men and women commit themselves to boundaries and to building up self-control, as the Apostle Paul is referring to here as well, we commit ourselves to self-control and the building up of proper boundaries in this area of life, guess what? It becomes a whole lot easier to build up boundaries and self-control in every other area of life as well. You start here. I'm telling you, if you're struggling in this area, you choose to develop self-control in this area, every other area of life becomes easier to, to develop self-control. Now, all this talk of your body is not your own, you belong to each other, I want you to know this is just Paul's way of telling married couples that you, you build each other up 
by looking out for one another before you look out for yourself. I love the way Tim and Kathy Keller put it in their wonderful book, The Meaning of Marriage. Tim Keller is one of the greatest authors of our generation, and he passed away last week. Great, great pastor, dedicated his life to pastoring so well, especially after 9-11 in New York City. But he died last week after a long battle with pancreatic cancer, and he's one of the, the best authors you, you can read. And they say it this way in their book, The Meaning of Marriage. They say, the Christian teaching does not offer a choice between fulfillment and sacrifice, but rather mutual fulfillment fulfillment through mutual sacrifice. Mm. That's the Christian teaching. That's not the American teaching. That's the Christian teaching. Mutual fulfillment through mutual self-sacrifice. And the irony is when we look out for our spouse's needs across all of life before our own needs, and we choose to serve our spouse before serving ourselves across all of life, the irony is we actually gain more happiness. Because real life is not found through just getting. Real life is found through giving, right? Real, deep, meaningful, joyous life is not found by getting what you want from people or using people, it's by giving of oneself that others would flourish. It's serving each other rather than using them. Now, great marriage needs to be built in every arena, and this is a good place to, to start, but it's not just this area, right? There's many, many other areas, though, that we can build trust. Well, let me give you two more as we wrap up here today. Build trust through humility. Here's number two. You build trust through sexual faithfulness, but, but you also need to build trust through humility. Look at verse four. It says, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but she yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but he yields it to his wife. I underlined in my Bible, in my Bible the word yield. Now, what do you do well, when you come to a yield sign in traffic? You let the other car go first, right? Otherwise, you're in the hospital. It's, it, it's, it's saying, you before me. That's what a yield sign says, right? And so also in marriage, that's what Paul is calling us to. That she would say, you before me. And then he would say, you before me. Like, husbands, well, what if we did this? Certainly in the area of intimacy, but also in other areas of life. Maybe it comes to decision making. And you have decisions as a family, and maybe you have a reputation for not really listening to your wife's ideas. Paul would say that's wrong. Paul would say we listen to one another's ideas and oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes in general, we make decisions together and it happens as we say, what would your opinion of this be? Wives likely, likewise, what would it do for your husbands if he knew that you oftentimes thought you before me? I'm thinking of you but before I'm thinking of myself. I, I knew a couple years ago who made it their goal to serve one another in love, to operate with humility toward each other all the time. And they turned into a loving competition back and forth uh, between one another. And so uh, he would come home from work and she would like surprise him with this great steak dinner that he didn't anticipate. And not only so, then like maybe she would say, I know you've had a really long week at work and so I'm gonna take the kids off for a couple hours just so you can kind of decompress after this week. 
And then he would start thinking, you know what? Tomorrow, I'm gonna take the kids off for three or four hours, and I'm gonna arrange a time for her to be with her girlfriends, to be by herself without me and well without the kids. And they would have this back and forth where they would seek to one-up each other in service and in humility. And they had a little acronym that they would write on sticky notes after they did these acts of service for each other. It was called BAM. By a mile. And they would write BAM on the sticky note and they would lay it down after their act of service and say, I beat you by a mile. And they had so much joy. They had so much Mutual satisfaction, such a rich, robust, interconnected marriage because of this mutual commitment to mutual self-sacrifice and humble yielding one to another. Again, think of, of what Dwayne and Gwen just said. We commit not to bringing up the past. That's a beautiful example of humility. Thank you. What a beautiful example of service, Gwen, to Dwayne. Say, I'm not going to bring up the past again and again. I've forgiven him, and Jesus' blood has covered. And yes, it's going to take time for us to rebuild trust, but Jesus' blood has covered him, and Jesus' blood has covered me too, and I've got my stuff too. So we humbly serve one another by forgiving each other. Here's an application that maybe you could ask today. You could do if you're married today. You could sit down and, and you ask each other today, how can I further build trust for our marriage? That one question. Husbands, you want to be leaders? Start there. How can I build trust for our marriage right now? And then ask, after you ask the question, don't speak. Okay? You sit, and you listen, and you humbly receive, and you refuse any inclination to be defensive. You shut up, and you listen. And then take turns. And wives, ask the same question. How can I build trust for our marriage these days? And you do the same. Humbly receive and listen, and don't be defensive. Because his emotions are his emotions. And her emotions are her emotions. And you have to receive that from each other. And maybe you'll hear something related to sex, or maybe you'll hear something related to service. Maybe you'll hear something related to always needing to be right. Don't be elbowing each other right now. I saw a few of you. (laughs) Maybe you'll hear something related to anger. Maybe hear something related to finance, something altogether different. I don't know what it'll be. But you receive that in humility, and then you further build trust as you begin to pray about that. Okay? You receive that, and then you start to pray. And this is number three. You want to build trust for your marriage? Here's number three for today. You build trust through prayer. Maybe you've heard the saying, the couple who prays together. Have you heard that one? It's true. The couple who prays together stays together. 
Verse 5, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Wow. I've just had the experience across my 19 years of marriage now, almost 19 years, that Susie feels closest to me when I pray for her. She feels most connected to me when I put aside my will and my plans and I see that she's hurting and I prioritize praying over her and reminding her of the blood of Jesus over her and focusing my attention there. And I likewise feel most close to my wife when she pauses and she sees that I'm struggling and she says, I got your back. And she prays over me. A simple, thoughtful, daily prayer together. It can be very simple. You simply pray for your marriage. You pray for your kids, if you have kids. You pray over one another's burdens. You do something like that, a simple daily prayer like that will do more for building intimacy in your marriage than anything else. It's the commitment to pray together that helps us take our stand against Satan together in the way almost nothing else can. It's a commitment to prayer together that helps us build self-control in a way that almost nothing else can. It's commitment to prayer together that can help us rebuild intimacy together. It's commitment to prayer together that helps us repent and forgive and love each other again the way almost nothing else can. It's prayer that provides like the lubrication for, for marriage to help us like get in sync once again to love each other more deeply because we remember as we pray together, my marriage, yes, it is me giving myself to you and it's you giving yourself to me, but even bigger than all of that, our marriage is for God. Our marriage is for God's glory. Our marriages are for the advancement of God's kingdom. And so we give ourselves to God together for life. And it's through a devoted prayer life together that you get back to that center when all of culture would seek to come in and make your marriage about something different. Anyone else? Okay, so you have to be really, really intentional about coming back to center and making your marriage about what God says it's really about. This, this is just way better than like marrying someone off so that they would have kids. And this is way better than marrying someone off so they would find self-fulfillment or financial advancement. And friends, what I'm talking about here is way better than getting married for the purpose of your own personal fulfillment and happiness. To be married for the purpose of self-giving love and then for this purpose of I'd like to be more and more sanctified by God. I want God to be glorified through my vows. I'm not sure that anything is able to build up more trust in our marriage than that commitment again and again coming back to center. And yeah, we're gonna have to apologize a lot and we're gonna have to forgive a whole lot. We're gonna have to do all different kinds of things to intentionally rebuild trust and build trust again, again and again throughout all of the days of our marriage. But man, what a powerful thing. When ordinary marriages like ours are able to be used 
for the glory of our great God and even to manifest his kingdom to those who are watching us. May it be, may it be. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful you gave us this gift. It's a beautiful and it's a uh, painful gift. But Lord, I've seen in my own life how marriage has been used, how you've used it in my life to sanctify me, to make me more like Jesus, to help me become more of a servant, to become a man who looks out less for my own interest and more for the interest of someone else. And Father, I've seen in marriage how two people working together can potentially do more for the advancement of your kingdom than either of us could by ourselves. And Father, that's what we want. Some of us in this room are called to a life of singleness, and what a blessing that is if that's where you're called, because you can probably do more for the kingdom than, than others, as Jordan talked about so beautifully last week. But others of us are called to marriage. And either way, what you want is not that we would have an ethic of personal fulfillment and happiness, and success and wealth management. But we would say, God, how could I use my marriage for your glory? And it starts with this. It starts with a commitment to build trust, to be one, to cleave together through all the challenges that we face. So Father, would you please help us? I know there's friends in this room here today there's friends in the venue and online here today who are thinking about throwing in the towel. And so, Lord, I pray for your blood over their marriages. I ask, God, that you would bring healing to the broken places. I pray, Lord, for a spirit of humility for those brothers and sisters to be able to apologize and forgive and to admit I have some areas that I need to work on. God, would you please help me? Oh, Father, we, we desire deeply that our church would be a place where marriages would be healed. Thank you, God, for the example that we heard about this morning. We ask for more. We commit ourselves to you. We commit ourselves to you. Would you use our marriages for your glory? In Jesus' mighty name, amen.